Welcome to Valley Talk. I'm your host, Heather Stark. We're talking about education, lofty things in this next show. What we're going to do is we're going to talk with an expert, a researcher with the Washington Student Achievement Council. Her name is Emma Kiebert Crocker. Welcome, Emma. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for doing the study. Now, I, I understand there were a number of researchers, but you are, uh, 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 we're obviously a part of that. Um, and uh, you have um, a role with the Washington Student Achievement Council, which I've discovered not a lot of people have heard of. It is a state organization. It is a governmental organization, and it's on higher education. It provides policy planning and research to advance educational attainment in Washington, another lofty goal there. Emma is a higher education researcher whose work focuses on promoting data-informed and evidence-based policies to increase access to higher education and reduce opportunity gaps. And we're going to talk about what that phrase means, an opportunity gap in educational attainment in the state. She's a Washington State native. She completed her undergrad degree at the University of Washington and has a Master's of Education Policy from Harvard Graduate School of Education. So those are some lofty uh, qualifications there, Emma. We were talking a little bit about before the show about the difference between going to UW and Harvard, and we won't go into all of those now, but it was it was interesting. Emma, tell me about, first of all, Washington Student Achievement Council. What is it? I mean, I read the statement here, but tell us what, it, what in, in layman's terms, what it does. Sure. So the Washington Student Achievement Council, um, or WASAC, is the state higher education agency um, and we're, we're working around this goal to increase educational attainment in Washington so that 70% of adults in the state have a post-secondary credential. And we're working towards that goal because we know that education is critical for uh, our state's economic and social well-being. Um, and part of that goal too, and I think maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, is working to ensure that we're, we're reaching racial equity as well. So ensuring that each racial group is also experiencing uh, a bump in, in post-secondary credential attainment. Okay, then I'm going to bring up, after, after assuring you that I don't do gotcha radio, I'm going to bring up, <laughs> I'm going to bring up something now. Um, there was a brouhaha a couple weeks ago that I read where there was some controversy because in keeping track of the different racial groups versus white, uh, apparently Asians had been listed as an other group and mm -hmm. then they were listed as white. Do you know anything about that? Do you, can you answer that or talk about that at all? I'm not familiar with what you're, what you're referring to. Um, but I will say that sort of from a, the research angle, you know, sometimes we are limited in the, the racial groups that we're able to look at. And that's because of how the data is collected. So for instance, census data collects racial categories in, in different ways, maybe than schools do. So, um, you know, sometimes there can be, not the level of nuance uh, and granularity that we we would hope for in some of that data. I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to. Okay, I, so well, I, sorry, I, I can't. You just kind yeah. of did my spidey sense started tingling. <laughs> I really wasn't planning on asking you about that, but that was something I had read uh, a couple weeks ago, hmm. and and I don't know a lot of details about it. Just that it was hmm. a, a brouhaha for a, at yeah. least a moment there. Um, so, okay, so the goal of this organization is to have at least 70% of the state have post-secondary degree. So we're talking college degrees, right? Undergraduate degrees? Yeah, we're talking associate's degrees, bachelor's, but also workforce credentials uh, that someone could obtain by maybe going to uh, through an apprenticeship program um, or through a, a technical or trade school. 
Okay. So basically something beyond high school. Exactly. Okay. I, I'm looking at, you know, my father's generation um, mm-hmm. and in his generation, World War II generation, um, most people didn't, uh, there were some, you know, my father-in-law and mother-in-law had college degrees, but not my parents. They were um, ninth grade dropouts. The idea of going to college was a rather privileged and um, lofty goal, you know, 75, 80 years ago. Now it seems to be, you need it. You need something past high school. Right. Uh, do, and again, I, I keep asking you these questions that I didn't prepare you for because they're just popping into my brain. No, no, but, it's fine. But why do you think now, why, yeah. why do we need a post-secondary education when yeah. high school used to be enough? Has high school changed? Has the culture changed? Has what's, what's, why, why, why is, why is our goal to have 70% of our population in our state to have more than a high school education? Yeah, that's a great question and, and one that our agency is is always working to, to answer and educate the public about. And and uh, our, our, our research shows that the jobs of the future and even the jobs that we have now require uh, a different level of education that um, that we need to ensure that that our residents in Washington have in order to get the jobs that they need to have you know, family sustaining wages. So that's sort of um, our logic for that goal is based on the labor market and workforce needs. Okay. And that would be based on those factors in Washington. Right. And I'm assuming that since you said in order to generate enough income, you know, to uh, mm-hmm. support a family or whatever, um, I, you'd have to have a lot more of that in this state than you'd have to if you lived in South Carolina. That's right. Um, so you factor those kinds of things in as well? Exactly. Okay. All right. And um, I kind of liked when you mentioned about the um, apprenticeships and things like that. I think a mm-hmm. lot of times I, I work with uh, teens. I, I tutor students that are uh, high school level. And it seems like it doesn't even cross their minds that there's something else besides college. Mm-hmm. Right. And if they don't want college, they don't particularly want it, but they feel like, well, I have to, I have to, that's what there is. That's all there is. So it's encouraging that the um, Washington State Student Achievement Council is also looking at options besides just a college degree um, because we need all sorts of people in the workforce, right? not, not just uh, managers and engineers and all those other things. Okay, let's talk about this report. The report is titled, well, I don't know what the the title of the report is. Here we go. Do you know is the official title of it? I don't have that. Sure. It's um, Facing Learning Disruption, um, Examining the Effects of the COVID-19 Pandemic on K-12 Students. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you would think I would have that written down. Sort so. of a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe that's why. Yeah. Um, and so obviously, the, as you stated, the purpose of this report is to try and figure out the impact of the last year has had on our high school students. But you also did some elementary as well, right? You, you got in those numbers too? Yeah, we, we touched on some younger students, but the bulk of the data that we share is is mostly related to high school students. And that's sort of because of where we sit as the higher education agency um, and sort of thinking about that transition from high school to post-secondary opportunities and and how we might see uh, some change there because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And obviously you found a lot of information and I wanna talk about as much of that as we can, 
But you pointed out um, in, in information about the report that there were basically um, uh, four key findings. And one of those key findings was that fewer high school seniors in Washington completed um, their FAFSA during the 2021 academic year. Now, mm -hmm. for those folks who aren't familiar, FAFSA is the federal registration form that you fill out for financial aid if you're going to college or any higher uh, education. Mm -hmm. And so obviously, if you didn't fill that out, you're either remarkably wealthy and don't need to take a loan to go to college, or you're just not going to go to college. So if this was your finding that fewer high school seniors in Washington completed their FAFSA during the 2021 academic year, what is your conclusion and how does that translate to everyday families? Yeah, so let me give you a few a few numbers there too, because I think that it, it helps sort of show the magnitude um, and sort of see how many students are we talking about? I mean, what, what proportion of students are we talking about here? So in uh, March 2020, so right before the pandemic, or I guess right as the pandemic was sort of beginning, um, we saw uh, about 43 or 44% of students in Washington had already completed the FAFSA. And again, I'll just underline that the FAFSA is really important because not only does it help students get federal financial aid like the Pell Grant, it also uh, is how students apply for state financial aid, including the Washington College Grant. Um, this last this last month, so this last March 2021, uh, we saw that number fall to 39%. So again, 44 to 39. So five percentage points um, lower than, than the prior year. We don't know what exactly uh, is causing that drop, right? We don't have the evidence there, but um, there's a lot of factors that might be at play. One, maybe students don't have the reminders, the support that they're used to getting um, at school from their teachers, from their guidance counselors, um, from, from their fellow students, right? They're not having that in-person contact in a lot of cases. Um, but it also might be that students' plans are changing after high school, like you said. Um, and we've seen some national evidence that shows that that may be the case. Um, so it is something that we're keeping an eye on and something that especially because the Washington Student Achievement Account Council um, administers the state financial aid program that I just mentioned, the Washington College Grant, we know that FAFSA completion is really important for students to be able to afford those post-secondary programs, whether that's a community college program, a four-year program, um, or an apprenticeship. Okay. So you're speculating and looking at possible causes for this. Um, one of the things that I heard, and I don't have any actual evidence for it for this, but I've heard a lot about students deciding to just have a gap year, like is common in many other countries, where they would just write off that year. They'd go hiking the, you know, the trails or, you know, whatever. Um, is that what you include that kind of thing under plans are changing or are you thinking more about, well, fooey on college, I don't need college and I will just do this instead. It's, it's definitely possible that students are, are planning to take gap years. Um, and we also have seen some survey evidence, um, from last school year and, uh, that, that a lot of students mentioned that that was something that they were considering because of the pandemic. Um, but we also know that uh, some, some national studies have shown that students who don't enroll in college right away may not, may have a lower chance of enrolling later on. 
Um, and we've also seen evidence that students uh, from surveys that students are choosing instead to um, to take on jobs to help their family through this tough economic time. So really, there there could be a, a whole a whole handful of different reasons why students are are not choosing to pursue that financial aid to go to college. Um, but we also know that in Washington, we're, we're one of the states that's best equipped um, to help students get that financial aid to pay for college. So we think that FAFSA completion is, is sort of one of our agency's um, priority areas and, and something that we think is, is really important for helping increase educational attainment through post-secondary enrollment in our state. Okay, you made a statement there about that Washington is best equipped to help students. With, uh, can you explain what you mean by that? Do we have more money? Do we have more services? What, well, what do you mean we, we are best? Yeah, I mean, best equipped, that's a <laughs> strong statement, but I would say, and of course I'm, I'm biased because this is you know, where I work and I'm really um, proud to work for the, for the Student Achievement Council um, because we have one of, one of the most generous state financial aid programs um, that's, that's been touted by other states as, as being, uh, we, we essentially cover for, for families that make up to 55% of the state's median income. We cover full tuition at uh, the state's public institutions, um, but we also provide money to families making up to the state median family income, which I think last year was $97,000. So we're seeing a lot of middle-income families also getting help to pay for college in Washington, which is not the case in all states. Um, so we, we, we have a lot of, of the aid available. Um, so then the next, you know, the next piece of it is, is ensuring that students know about the aid and can access the aid and then can use that financial aid to actually enroll in post-secondary programs. And in keeping in mind that, that keeping that in mind, then do does the Washington Student Achievement Council have a, 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 a flow of information to and from schools and counselors and all that mm -hmm. kind of? Thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's outside of my my area at the at the agency. But um, we have the twelfth year campaign that provides resources and works closely with schools and school counselors um, to provide resources about financial aid and and going to college. Um, and we have several other programs that work with community-based organizations and schools directly um, to ensure that they have the knowledge that they need to be able to pursue that financial aid. Okay. Let's talk more about the report. First of all, let me backtrack a little bit. Um, why did you do the report? Did somebody yeah. say, gee, it seems reasonable that we're <laughs> going to have repercussions because of this year of, uh, and then some? Um, tell me a little bit about how this, this study came about and how did, how did you develop the study? Yeah, sure. So um, like I mentioned, our agency is pursuing this goal to increase educational attainment in Washington because we know that it's so important for our state's economy and social well-being. Um, we also know that the pandemic is affecting students. So in this past January, we... Uh, my co-author Isaac Quacha and I released a uh, report about um, post-secondary enrollment this past fall. And what we found is that uh, including two-year and four-year public institutions in the state, we saw 13% fewer students enrolled in the fall of 2020 than in the fall of 2019, which is a pretty substantial drop there. It's, it's 
you know, we, we saw these patterns throughout the country, but we also saw this happening in Washington. Um, and we also know from, from other evidence that um, K-12 students are being impacted. I mean, of course, common sense will tell you that the huge shift to remote learning is, has got to be having an impact on students, um, but we're seeing some national evidence crop up. So obviously, you know, the impact on K-12 students is important in and of itself, but from where we sit at WASAC, like I was saying, we know that this also has the potential to impact the transitions to post-secondary programs. So that's sort of what motivated us to, to, um, to look into this report. Um, so when we started drafting and thinking about the report, what we realized is that there's really sort of limited data uh, in the state about the impact on K-12 students, um, in part because of challenges with assessments during remote learning, um, but other COVID-related issues also have sort of made the data hard to compare to previous years. Um, so what we did in the report was we used a variety of, of different research and, and data to help nuance what was happening. Um, and we included some national and, and Washington data, which we can talk more about our findings there. Okay. So, you know, having uh, spent some time putting together a survey, how did you determine the questions? What areas did you need to focus on? Because you can't keep people involved in, uh, you know, 40 page pages of questions. You, you have to get down and dirty and figure out what you're going to ask. So how did you decide to, how did you narrow down the questions to ask? So we actually didn't um, put out a survey. We used survey results uh, from existing surveys uh, and then gathered some data yeah, from the K-12 agency also. Okay. So we were, we were um, like I said, the data is limited and also our, the data that was available to us was also pretty limited. So we did have to get a little bit creative in, in how we could tell that story. Okay. Um, and where did these other surveys come from? Uh, you said national surveys yeah. that included Washington state uh, information or are there surveys by individual school districts or how, wh where did this information come from? Yeah. So one, one survey that we looked at was the um, U.S. Census Household Pulse Survey which is a survey that's been um, collected since the beginning of the pandemic weekly and, and bi-weekly in, in the last few months to gather information about families' experiences um, on a variety of issues, including education. Um, so we looked at the US Census Household Pulse Survey. Um, we also looked at, so that's sort of some of the survey data. Then we also looked at some grading data, which maybe we wanna get into. Yeah, um, but you know what? Let's take a quick break. And then I want to talk about the grading data because there's been a lot of publicity about that kind of thing. So let's take a little break. And um, you're listening to Valley Talk and I'm Heather Stark, your host. And my guest is Emma and she is a researcher for the state Washington Student Achievement Council. And we're going to talk more about the results of that and how they, how they found uh, that, uh, formulated the information for that report. So that's right here on Valley 104.9 FM. You're listening to Valley 104.9, your station for Valley talk and information. Join us for Northwest Phenomenon Sunday nights at 7 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9 as we cover topics from paranormal activity, conspiracy theories, and more. If you have a story you would like to share, email me, mario at northwestphenomenon.com. We'll see you Sunday nights at 7 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9. Northwest Phenomenon. 
Tune in on Saturday evenings when Valley 104.9 is all about the oldies. Things get going at 5.30 p.m. with Forgotten Hits of the 60s, where host Steve Arthur spins up obscure singles and one-hit wonders. Then from 6 to 9, it's the Saturday Night Oldies Show with the Valley's own Terry Spring. Terry busts out his huge collection of 45s from the 50s, 60s, and 70s and spins them every week. It's a double dose of the oldies every Saturday starting at 5.30 p.m. Remember to join us at 1 p.m. on Sunday for Animal Radio. Animal Radio is America's most listened to pet show. The nearly two-hour celebration of our pets is hosted by veterinaire talent Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. So tune in 1 p.m. Sunday, Animal Radio. Immerse yourself in the worlds of community media, sound, podcasting, and audio on Radio Survivor. Airing on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7 p.m. here on Valley 104.9 FM. Welcome back to Valley Talk. I'm Heather Stark. With me is Emma Kiebert Crocker, and she is one of the one of two researchers who piled through data about the student success last year uh, during COVID. Um, you mentioned that we you got uh, a couple of different sources, you had different information, and one of those uh, sources of information was grading data. Tell me what that is and how you uh, found that data. Sure. So um, we reached out to the um, to OSPI, the K-12 uh, education agency in Washington, um, and they uh, shared with us some data about grades uh, for high school students um, who go to public school in Washington. And what we looked at was um, students who received an F, a no credit, uh, or an incomplete grade. Um, and I'm happy to jump right into the findings if you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. So uh, what we saw is that, again, looking at students who received either an F, a no credit, or an incomplete grade, we saw that there was a, a really substantial increase. Um, so during the 2019-2020 school year between August and March, so sort of the, the first chunk of the school year right before the pandemic, um, we saw that 18% of students uh, received one of these three, an F, a no credit, or an incomplete grade. During the same period this school year, uh, that number grew to 25%, uh, which is a 42% increase, which is really a large increase. Um, and we can see that fully 20, 25%, that's one in four public high school students in Washington have earned a grade uh, that normally wouldn't provide them credit towards their high school diploma. Which is startling to me because I know when the pandemic first started and everybody was trying to figure out what to do, uh, a lot of school districts just decided, you know what, if you just do the work, you got it, you got an A. Or some school districts said, well, mm -hmm. you know, as long as you, uh, you know, let us know you're out there, you're going to pass, it's going to be a pass fail or whatever. And from an outsider standpoint, it sounded like, well, geez, all you have to do is show up, you know, and you're going to you know, at least pass or get an A. And yet, 42% increase in the students that didn't do that. Again, did your organization speculate uh, or hypothesize about why that might be? You know, we as, as researchers, we try not to, to go beyond the evidence that's in front of us. So, so we, we, really, we really don't know and we can't say for sure. But 
we can say is this sort of might be some evidence that students are going to need additional support, whether that's because they've been, you know, disengaged and maybe not showing up for their for their online courses, or maybe it's because they're struggling with this with this format. They're not they're not able to learn algebra through the computer, right? That seems like a plausible thing for a lot of students. I know that I would have struggled with that myself. So I, I think with it in person. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Computer, yeah. Exactly. And then what else we know is that, you know, these grades are going to stay in, in a lot of cases on students' transcripts. And that might impact their post-secondary transitions for some students. Mm-hmm. And it might impact, you know, again, this is sort of beyond what we're able to see with the data, but it might impact their ability to graduate high school on time. So these are all like very real possibilities that that uh, could show up in the future and that we need to be thinking about and, and helping, um, you know, educators have this evidence to start thinking about how can we support students to to, to get back on track after this, this disruptive year. I don't recall reading about, but I'm going to ask you this question anyway, because obviously I have no boundaries when it comes to asking. (laughs) Um, Graduation, you know, I mean, obviously pandemic hit us before graduation last year. So most of the year was spent as a regular year. And this year we're just starting to get into graduations. But did you gather gather any data about actual graduation numbers, uh, the number of people who did graduate, or is that just not something you could get? Yeah, we, we actually didn't explore that in this report, um, but my, and, and I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to, um, I don't want to speculate either on that. Um, but I would say if, if there are folks who are interested in that, there's tons of data on OSPI's website that's very easy to, to follow and, and might be interesting for folks, especially if you want to look at sort of your, your, your local school or your local district and sort of see where, where things are you know, fell. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you uh, to repeat that toward the end when um, we, we wrap up, because I know I always like to give people resources or places to go for more information because mm-hmm. obviously we're, we're not delving into it with any depth because I don't have the knowledge and skill that you have. So, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's, it's often something that we want to further pursue when we hear about this, especially mm-hmm. if it's our kids that are right. facing some of this. So let's go back to some of the other findings, the four key findings that you uh, discovered. The first one we talked about, fewer students completing their FAFSAs. What's the next one? I have down that it's Washington families report that children are spending less time on learning activities than Mm -hmm. before the pandemic. How did you measure that? Mm -hmm. Was it just a parent's opinion or did you get any uh, quantified uh, information? How How did you measure that? Yeah, so that data comes from the U.S. Census Household Poll Survey that I that I mentioned earlier. Um, and again, that survey is has been conducted weekly or biweekly since the beginning of the pandemic, um, and tries to get at some of the you know families' experiences uh, on a variety of issues. So that data point comes from um, a question uh, when we were drafting the report, so around uh, mid February, I want to say. Uh, and we saw that a large number of families were answering, responding to that question uh, in Washington that their children were spending less time on learning activities. So we don't have like a clear definition of, of what exactly constitutes learning activities. Uh, and obviously there's some subjectivity there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we do know is that families are saying that their kids aren't aren't doing the same amount that they were before the pandemic. and 
And we see that as, as evidence that families are struggling in this time, that students are struggling in this time, and, and that might show up later in their academic performance too. Mm-hmm. And so we don't know whether um, learning activities means we're sitting around the kitchen table and we're right. teaching our family heritage or whether that means <laughs> sitting in front of the computer actually with a book in right. hand. Yeah. But, you know, all of that's important and, and, and is, is critical for, for kids' education and, and um, you know, right, like whether it's reading a book, you know, on your own or, or actually participating in the live Zoom class, like both of those things are are important and when added together and we think of all of those things as learning activities mm-hmm. students are spending less time on them it's it's possible that that's an indication that um that students are are you know might not be having the same amount of of academic progress as in the past mm-hmm. yeah I, I mean it makes sense if you're not exposed to learning opportunities you're not going to learn as much um right. the uh, another uh, finding that you had is that almost half of Washington students still have no regular in-person instruction. And in-person instruction is even less common for high school students than elementary. Are we talking going to classrooms because we're just starting to do that again? Right. Or are we talking one-on-one or what what are we talking with that question, with that um, finding? Yeah, so that finding is is also from um, OSPI, the the K-12, agency and it was part of their uh their online or i'm sorry in-person learning dashboard something like that COVID 19 school status dashboard um so like you said like things have have really changed over the last it's sort of a week by week thing right we've seen a lot of changes over the last uh month or so in terms of students going back to school in person um so again i would urge folks to if if this is interesting uh, go onto that dashboard and see. You can look back in time. You can go to previous weeks and see how many students were participating in in, in person learning uh, in in the beginning of March compared to now. Um, and so that's that's what that statistic comes from. Okay. And again, um, you're not going to indulge me by speculating what the long-term <laughs> meanings of all these are. And good researcher that you are. Um, and I, I respect that, but. I'm still going to ask. Um, <laughs> so all of these findings together, did the Washington Student Achievement Council in their report speculate about how this will have long-term effects or if it will have long-term effects for students? And if so, how will it be tracked and kept track of in the future? I mean, I think that's the question. That's that's sort of the golden question. And, and we really we really don't know. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's definitely plenty of researchers out there that are modeling this, that are, that are trying to figure out, well, what can we expect to see in the future? Are we going to see lower graduation rates? Are we going to see fewer students going to college? Are we going to see lower wages for, for students uh, that are in school now? Are we going to see their lifetime incomes lowered? And that's all definitely a possibility. It's just something that at this point, and especially you know, with, with the effects of the pandemic sort of ongoing, right? Like we're not, we're not really totally out of the woods yet. Um, we, sorry, my dog is crying in the background. Um, <laughs> we, we really, we really don't know. And it's something that we think is really important to continue to pay attention to and to follow the data and also to be in conversation with students and families and, and to be able to identify what supports we, we can provide uh, to make sure that 
that we can mitigate some of those possible consequences for students. We've been talking primarily about high school students, but the study also gathered data on elementary. Uh, was it different data? What, what, what did you find out about elementary students that might yeah. be different from the high school students? Sure. So um, for the elementary data, we weren't able to look uh, really at anything from Washington. What we did look at was a, a, national, a national study from Curriculum Associates uh, that looked at uh, sort of like test scores from the beginning of the, the school year compared to historical averages. Um, and excuse me while I just look at my notes so I don't get these numbers wrong, but <laughs> we're, we're not <laughs> peer reviewed. You can give us notes. It's, it's, nobody's going to hold you to it if you say, you know, 49% instead of 48.7. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. Well, what we did, what we saw from that data is that, uh, and again, this is national and uh, I don't believe that Washington was one of this, one of the states included in any of this testing anyways. Um, but some of these trends are important and, and might also show up in, in Washington. Um, what we saw is that student, more students than in, in previous years were testing below grade level. And again, what that means, you know, might, might depend on the state's, the state's standards. Um, more students though were testing below grade level in reading and in math. Uh, although the, the, the growth of students testing below grade level was larger in math, suggesting that math might, might be more impacted um, by remote learning. And we also saw that younger students tended to uh, have a larger slide. Uh, so more younger students in younger grades testing below grade level than in older grades. So potentially, I'll speculate. I'm not the, I'm not the researcher. I'll go, go ahead. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so basically, from what you're saying, I'm going, wow, um, we've been looking at high school students, seeing how their last two years of high school is impacted, or maybe their first year of college. But if we look at those elementary students and if they're having that kind of a, an impact right now, won't that trail them throughout their whole entire educational experience? It's very hard to get caught up again if you get behind um, your peers um, in, my, in my experience. So that's my speculation. Yeah. And, and I think that's certainly possible and also, I think that it is, it is possible for us to really invest in supporting these students and making sure that, that that doesn't happen, right? That they're able to catch up because students, kids are resilient, you know, and, and kids can, we, we try not to think with a fixed mindset, right? Like these students are able to recover from this tough year, and and there's there's certainly ways that uh, we can we can help them do that. And I think that that's a really that should be a priority for for us in our state. Well, and I think you're you're wise to state that as you do because I think oftentimes we we tend to be as a culture pretty news junkies. You know, we we want the latest and the greatest and da da da. da. Um, and we can get all in a swivet over it. But the fact is, this is not the worst thing that's ever happened. It's not going to be the worst thing that ever happens. Um, and, you know, to put so much weight on it, it's good to, to get the surveys and the studies so that you can see where you need to get, give some attention. But I think sometimes when we put such, you know, uh, laser beam focus on the problems, we tend to lose track of the fact that these, you know, life is full of problems. This is just mm -hmm. one of them. 
Um, and if it weren't this, it might be something else. Or, you know, I, I remember when the pandemic first started, there was a woman, I, I forget her age, but she was in her hundreds. And she had actually had Spanish flu in 1914. Oh and so last year they were, I, I don't remember what state was, this was in, but they interviewed her because she had just survived COVID. And this wonderful little old lady, I never watched TV, but I was watching it when I saw this and I was so grateful because this wonderful little old lady who was like 106 years old. And she said, um, they asked her about, you know, the Spanish flu and then COVID. And she said, yep, it's just one thing after another. <laughs> and That's it depressing, is. depressing, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny though. It is. It's one thing after another that we have to grow and adapt and get used yeah, to. And right. It's not unique. Things happen. Life happens. And I think sometimes we put such inordinate focus on something at that particular moment that we lose sight of the fact that this is just one more thing that human beings will get through. Um, but yeah. that being said, we do need to know what the particular issues right. are so that we can get through it, you know. Right. Right. So we need the research. So that's my pontification for right now. <laughs> the the three, well, actually, we did talk the fourth uh, of your key findings, because the fourth one we kind of slid into, which is the number of students who are not getting their credit for their classes. And mm -hmm. you said that that was an increase of 42%. So we talked about fewer students completing the FAFSA, which might indicate fewer students going to college. We talked about families spending less time or reporting that their, their kids are spending less time on learning activities, which might mean they're spending less time in actual academic pursuits. We talked about how half of Washington students still have no regular in-person instruction, and in-person instruction is even less common for high school students. Now, a lot of higher education institutions have been doing uh, remote learning for a while. I mean, I got one of my master's degrees from University of Colorado in Denver, and we would go for an intensive for seven days and mm -hmm. do the classroom work. And then we would go home for the rest of the quarter and do it remotely. And that was when Job was a baby. That wasn't recently. Um, so how come it's so hard now? Because we yeah. haven't really focused on on primary education or secondary education? You know, why is it so hard now? Any ideas in that come up from the information you've called? You mean, why is it so hard for K-12s? Why are we seeing yeah, this yes. for K-12s? Well, I'll just say that we're, we're also seeing higher ed students struggling. Um, and like, you know, like you said, there's plenty of students in college that, that go to programs online and that's, you know, that's one thing. But I think that that major shift to online, especially the sudden shift last spring, caught a lot of folks off guard, caught a lot of instructors off guard, uh, but students too, who were not used to learning that way. So, so we're, and, and then, like I mentioned earlier, we, we did see a, a large, you know, a substantial drop in post-secondary enrollment too. So it's not just K-12 students, um, but I'll say, and again, this sort of uh, goes outside of the, uh, most of the work that we do at the Student Achievement Council, but, you know, there's developmental things too, right? Younger students, uh, a six-year-old learning from a computer screen um, needs support and needs that hands-on support in a lot of cases, and also that social development. Um, so there's there's a lot of different issues, I think, and and that's all without thinking about the, the sort of immense challenges that families are facing, whether that's because of 
jobs lost or illness or anxieties about jobs lost or, or illness, even if, you know, that that's not the reality for every family. So there's just really been a lot going on and, and that that wears on students too. Well, and I obviously this was focusing on academic, but there was nothing that I read in the study that hinted at any of those psychological fallouts or the right. sociological fallout. Right. I mean, that's a whole nother report. That's a whole and really an important issue I know to Governor Inslee too is is students' mental health and thinking about uh, the mental health issues of of remote learning. And and that was actually part of his uh, his decision to have schools go um, back to school in person. Um, so you can you can read that in his proclamation online too. Sure. Um, and that's significant because all of these decisions are not either ors. They're balancing, you know, they're balancing needs and um, on, on both sides of an equation. And, you know, I, I, I'm always saying I'm glad I'm not the policymaker or the decision maker, because no matter what decision makes, somebody's going to find fault with it um, because you're balancing, you know, what you, you can't, it's not a clear yes or no, you know, yes, go back to school or no, don't go back to school. It's not clear. Right. There are right. pluses and minuses in, in right. each, each right. regard. So what else did you find in the study that we haven't talked about? Well, one thing that I, I want to sort of point out in this, um, and I'll illustrate it by using the grading data again, is that we're not, we're not seeing a uniform impact on students where it's, it's possible that that the pandemic has actually been, if not exposing, actually exacerbating some equity issues. So when we looked at the grading data, uh, we, we disaggregated it by race and a few other student characteristics. And what we found was that uh, we saw some, some racial inequities in students receiving, I'll, I'll just talk about students receiving Fs. So this current year, we saw that American Indian students, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander students and Hispanic students we're all substantially more likely to receive um, an F than their peers. And we also saw that English language learners, low-income students, and students with disabilities were also more likely to have an F than their peers. So it's possible that um, not only are these inequities in, in grading that might be sort of connected to some other academic outcomes, not to say that grading is a, is a perfect you know, it's not perfectly correlated with with academic outcomes, right? And we know that, but it is a piece of evidence and a piece of of data that we have, and we can quantify. Um, and so we're seeing some of these inequities crop up and and possibly be exacerbated by the pandemic and by all of these issues related to the pandemic that we've been talking about. Okay, so can I summarize that by saying more kids of color received failing grades in the data you got from the census is, or am I oversimplifying that? Well, if, if you look at each racial group separately, we do see, and again, I don't, I don't have, I don't have the graph right in front of me or anything. Um, but specifically uh, we, we saw that American Indian students, native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander students and Hispanic students compared to the other racial groups uh, identified in the OSPI data uh, had higher rates of Fs. Okay. okay. And um, I think I mentioned to you that I'm, I'm going to try and get our local um, information, uh, you know, on this so that we can kind of see how our schools are doing, you know, compared mm -hmm. to uh, this, this uh, information you got from the different studies. Um, when 
you are inter- giving this, this, these studies out and you're, when you're sharing this information, you're sharing it with um, the education world, but are you, do, do students and parents have access to the information and the reports directly? And if so, how? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we love engaging with students and families. We spend a lot of time talking with um, government folks, <laughs> policymakers, decision makers, and, and high ups sort of in the education world. Uh, and, and school district leaders. Um, but we also think that students and families should have this, this data and, and, um, and all of our reports are available publicly online. Um, if you go to WASAC, so wsac.wa.gov, um, you can find all of our recent reports. We have several other reports that we've written. Um, like I mentioned, the fall post-secondary enrollment report uh, and several others during COVID that help shed light on some of these issues and provide data where it's available uh, and, and, and try to fill in that, that story of what, what are we seeing, what's happening, and what can we expect to happen. Okay, we're going to take a little break again. And then when we come back, I want to ask you and again, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you all sorts of questions that I never gave, gave you any preparation for. So my apologies, but it's been fun. It's been fun for me. (laughs) So when we come back from this break, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the future. Okay, and we're going to look at that. Uh, in light of the fact that COVID is still looming around us and uh, what what's what's in the future for the Washington Student Achievement Council. Local news, local info, Valley 104.9 FM. Hi, I'm Chris Heim, inviting you to join me in the Global Village for the best in music from all around the globe. We highlight new releases, rare and classic recordings, birthdays, holidays, and a host of features, specials, and unique concert performances, all drawing on styles and influences from many different corners of the world. Great sounds from all around the globe in the Global Village, Thursday nights from 7 till 9, here on Valley 104.9 FM, your station for Northwest Eclectic Music. Don't you love everybody in your community? The coyotes and the rattlesnakes, the ravens and the vultures, whatever strange apparitions haunt the night. If you like your tales served up weird, tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. for a double shot of Desert Oracle Radio, right here on Valley 104.9. Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Welcome back to Valley Talk. I'm Heather Stark with Emma Kiebert Crocker, who is with the Washington Student Achievement Council. She was instrumental in a a study, and and would we call this a meta study? Sure. Okay, it's a meta study, um, and uh, she basically she and and her research uh, uh, cohort went through the. Uh, data from the census. They went through different. Uh, uh, surveys and uh, information, and they culled it out and made a report specific to Washington State as far as student achievement over the last uh, COVID year. And we've talked about the four key findings that you had. One is fewer uh, school seniors filled out FAFSA during that year. Fewer Washington families reported that their kids were spending less time on learning activities. You reported that almost half of Washington students still have no regular or in-person instruction. 
And then you talked about uh, about 42% increase in the number of students who either failed or took an incomplete or in one way or another will not receive credit for a class that they took last year, uh, a class or classes. So those are the four key findings. You also mentioned that you looked at uh, ethnicity to see if there was any uh, particular equity issues and you identified uh, some of those from the, from the report. All of this information is wonderful but it is just one piece of what we need to look at mm -hmm. to help our students in the coming year or years. What else is the Washington Student Achievement Council? What, what do you have on your plates for what you're going to go into next and how are you gonna go about it? Sure. So I'll just say, I, I mean, I don't wanna leave this interview without mentioning the tireless efforts of educators, school districts to make sure that students are receiving the, the support, you know, that they need uh, and doing their best to make sure that that students are, are still being educated during this unprecedented year. Right. So I just <laughs> want to mention that, that, that we're I'm so sorry. I, I had to laugh because I mean, do we even say year anymore? No, everything's <laughs> an unprecedented year. So whatever know. this has been. And I think un it's funny, unprecedented, like really wasn't part of my vocabulary until last March. And now I use it four times a day. Neither was shots in <laughs> arms. When did, when did we stop referring to just shots and start be everything's a shot in an arm? Really? I mean, really? I mean, I don't recall that we ever said shots and hip shots and, you know, I mean, but now it's shots in arms and now it's unprecedented year. I, I feel like we're either our vocabularies are shrinking or our creativity is one or the other. <laughs> just one of the many ways that COVID has affected yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, okay, so you've given credit to the educators out there um, and duly recognized how difficult it's been coming up with ways to deal with this. Um, but that being said. That being said, I mean, we really have a lot to learn still about COVID, about how COVID has impacted students and how how the impact will will be long lasting or or maybe not, right? So we we really have a lot to learn and and like I was saying earlier, we sort of we don't have uh, the amount of data yet to be able to to do some of that tracking. So we're we're kind of gathering, we're in a gathering and, and waiting space uh, to to be able to gather more evidence to see sort of what is what is the impact been for students, and I mean that sort of in a broad sense, not just some of the, the grades data, the quantitative data that, that we're seeing already, but, but also some of that personal uh, narrative from students and from families uh, and trying to gauge what, what is it that they need to be able to get back on track. And then we need to use that data, right? We need to use that to direct resources to schools, to students, to make sure that educators know what what it is that students are are not haven't mastered yet, uh, and and what they need uh, to be able to progress academically uh, and get back on track. And then we need to look to the to the research and see what what actually works to accelerate learning, uh, and what what practices can we implement in schools uh, to be able to help students get back on track. Those are all very good and generalized statements, but I guess I was asking more specifically about the Washington Student Achievement Council. Since I'm new to recognizing this and I've, yeah. I've lived in Washington for a very long time, um, and yet I don't think I've ever heard of the Washington Student Achievement Council. 
even though I was a teacher for four years, I don't know, it didn't come up. Um, I'm asking specifically about the Washington, Washington Student Achievement Council. What are the plans? Uh, obviously, everybody's plans have changed and everybody's direction kind of took a little bit of an angle because yeah. of COVID. So how did that impact this organization and what's, what's this going to mean for the immediate future for this organization? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll highlight something that I is sort of, you know, one of the, the, the core responsibilities of our of our agency, like I mentioned earlier, is is financial aid uh, and administering the state financial aid program, the Washington College Grant. Uh, and we know because of, you know, some of the economic challenges of of the pandemic, we know that a lot of, of families and students are are in need of help paying for college. I mean, all the time, but especially right now as we're seeing a lot of families struggle um, financially. So, so one thing that we are, are really prioritizing uh, and we mentioned earlier is FAFSA completion to make sure that students are able to actually get that aid. And I also wanna mention um, that for, for students who are undocumented or might not be able to receive federal financial aid, we do have a state uh, application called the WASFA, which you can find on our website uh, so that students uh, who might not be able to receive federal financial aid can still receive state financial aid. So some of these uh, investments that we have in, in financial aid and we know are really important for students to access and enroll in post-secondary programs, we're really uh, doing our best to make sure that, that students, schools and families are aware of these programs and are accessing them, um, especially now as, as financial times are, are tough. Um, and, and making sure that, that students are, are aware that they do have support to, to go to college, uh, even if their families are experiencing increased financial hardships. You mentioned earlier that all of this information is available on your website. Can you give that out again? Absolutely, it is um, wsac.wa.gov. Okay, and people can ser search for the uh, COVID-19 outcomes report. Um, I would assume that that would be brief enough that they can remember to type it in and still sufficient information so that it pops up. What, what efforts are being made now that you've compiled this report with your organization? Do you then give it to legislators? Do you give it obviously to the governor? Do you, who, mm -hmm. do, who do you tie directly in with yeah. to distribute this information? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, we hope, first of all, we hope that it, it isn't one of those reports that's just done and rots on the website with, with no viewers. So we're really happy to be able to talk about it today with you and share some of the really important information uh, with you and, and our listeners. But we also are in conversation um, with legislators, with legislative staff, uh, with some staff in the governor's office uh, and other um, education leaders throughout the state. We we obviously work closely with um, a lot of, of, of government staff, but we also try to engage as much as possible with community leaders uh, in education around the state to be able to share the information that we're putting together and, and make sure that it's broadly available. Great. <clears throat> Does the Washington Student Achievement Council also cover college students or just high school elementary? We actually, I'm sorry, the Washington Student Achievement Council? 
Yeah. Do you, yeah. I mean, we've, we've talked about ele- some, yeah. some findings from elementary and we've talked yeah. about a lot of high school findings from your particular research, Yeah. but does the, the organization as a whole, that includes students at all levels, not just elementary high school. Is that right? Right. We actually uh, primarily focus on, on college students um, and, and sort of that's, that's our angle is the post-secondary angle. So we know obviously that K-12 is, connected with post-secondary, right? Uh, and, and that transition from K-12 to post-secondary is, is sort of what, what founded this work for us. Mm-hmm. Are there any, is there any research that you're doing right now on the college students themselves? You, we mentioned that in we were, when we were talking, but it seemed like the report was primarily about elementary and high school. So yeah. are you doing, are you working on something like this for the, the high school, for the college level as well? Or is that uh, in the pipeline or? It's, it's definitely something that we've been been floating around and talking about. We, like I mentioned earlier, we had our uh, enrollment, our fall enrollment report that focused on college students in Washington, um, less about student experience and more looking at those enrollment numbers specifically. Um, but, but yeah, in the past and, and I'm sure in the future, we, we uh, tend to focus on post-secondary students uh, and thinking about their experiences as well. Wonderful. Emma, thank you so much. We're coming up to the end of the time here. I'm going to put you on the spot one more time. See, I said I, I assured <laughs> you I would not do that, and yet I've done it over and over. So I guess I'm just a devious little son of a gun. Um, if you could say in one sentence what this report accomplished, what would it be? One sentence. I'm not one for brevity. <laughs> um, I think I'll say that... Um, that doesn't count as my sentence, right? <laughs> There's a lot of, of data and research that we still need to learn about students' experiences during the pandemic, semicolon. <laughs> but we hope that the, the conversations continue to be student-centered, equity-focused, and uh, and look to, to research and rigorous research to make sure that that we're addressing the impact for all students in our state and ensuring that they can have bright futures. Well, now see that I, I should put you on the spot more. That was <laughs> even with the semicolon. Uh, <laughs> so uh, again, I just want to wrap up by saying so that because these four points are so significant, um, fewer high school seniors completing FAFSA, which may mean fewer want to go to college or are going to college. More families saying that their kids are spending less time on learning activities, which may mean that they're not being exposed to specific educational opportunities. Uh, Most half of Washington students still don't have regular in-person instruction. And it is even worse for high school students and elementary. And that there was a big, big jump in the number of students who will not get credit for classes last year, either because of failure or incomplete or uh, whatever. Those are all four enormous points, and I hope that uh, we are going to build and continue to gain information about those points so that we can learn more and hopefully not just gather the data, but come up with ways to help counteract that. Emma, thank you so much for the work you do with the Washington Student Achievement Council. Thank you for coming on our show. I hope it wasn't too too bad for you. And uh, <laughs> we do appreciate it. And I hope that if you do things like this in the future, you'll keep us in mind and come back and share with us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
You're welcome. And thank you for listening to Valley Talk right here on Valley 104.9 FM. Thank you.